Hello, my name is David James Young. You might know me as one of the four voices you're about to hear for the next hour or so on Hottest 100s and Thousands. But today, I'm coming to you as a friend. We're friends, right? It doesn't matter if you've been listening for a couple of episodes or a couple of seasons. If you are engaging with Hottest 100s and Thousands, then you have a friend in me. That's why I'm coming to you as a friend to ask, do you dig this? Do you like what we're doing? Because if so, there is one very, very simple way that you can help us out. And that is by telling people about what we're doing over here. We love doing this show and we would absolutely love it if you could share that with anyone you think even might be remotely interested. Tag us on your socials. Mention us in any conversation where podcasts come up. It would be so, so massively appreciated. Thank you again so much for your ongoing support. As I always say, we love you and we appreciate you. And now it's time for another episode of The Great Podcast. Who will take home the coveted hundy? (laughs) (laughs) Ah, yes, that uh, that famous podcasting award that uh, is named after us. Mm. The hundy. The hundy. Spending all my time driving round, faking clever with a girl who seems alright and another one who's better. We are Hottest 100s and Thousands and we have taken control of your radio station. This is the podcast in which we stack dead actors, stack them to the rafters and talk about the songs that have been deemed hot enough to be in the Triple J Hottest 100. My name is David James Young and I am one of the four voices you're going to be hearing for the next hour or so. Joining me once again, it's Nathan Harrison. Hi. Adam Buncher. The actors was like that when I got here. I swear, (laughs) officer. (laughs) I know nothing, boss. I know nothing. I just stacked them. (laughs) And the godfather himself, Andrew McDonald. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) That classic line. Hey. It's so good when Marlon Brando opens the door and says, hey. Hey. (laughs) There's a great, um, this is just a, a gift for the... For the dear listeners, there's a terrific Twitter account called Godfather Quotes, which is just like images of the Godfather. Like, it means like, (laughs) Godfathers love to make offers. That's why we make them. The Godfather, 1979. It's just this corker of a thing. I recommend it highly. (laughs) And that's why this is a music (laughs) podcast. Deej, set us off, please. No, no, no. Andrew, 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 (laughs) we are not done yet. We are not done. Oh, I have to apologize. Yeah, there's another gift you have to give the listeners, specifically the listeners of Christina Ricci, the cast of Mad Men, the cast of Gilmore Girls, and one James Herdigan. Do you know who he is, Andrew? Oh, oh Jimmy H. Jimmy <laughs> Hopper from The Irishman. No. What? <laughs> I don't think so. He's in that, right? It's about Jimmy Hoffa. He's yeah. No, I watched it. Don't. He was in yeah, that. He's the Irish. Hang on. Don't. <laughs> don't try that. and change the subject. Don't try and change the subject. Yes. No. Who? Who is James? Her- he's the guy he- from Metallica. Herdigan? James Herdigan. Well, I tell you what. He's right. he's not only the Dolly Grip in Birdman, but he is oh. married to Christina Ricci. Ah, right. Well, yeah. Christina James. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Last week. <laughs> I made a, a rare, so rare, there's not a word for it, 
uh, let's call it an Andrews mistake. I made a rare Andrews mistake wherein I said that Vincent Kartizer from Mad Men was married to Christina Ricci. I show my ass here publicly for all to whip tomatoes at in the town square <laughs> and realize that the, the correct Vincent Kartizer wife is uh, Alexis Bledil, who was in Gilmore Girls and also Sin City and had a small recurring role in the middle of Mad Men. Yeah, she was in Mad Men. Yeah, I confused her with Christina Ricci because they are both pale brunettes and they're around the same age. If this makes me a racist, this is my cross to die on and I will be continually tomato whipped in the town square as penance for Andrew's Mistake, Volume 1. There we go. So stop writing in. Yeah, a few of you wrote in and we appreciate it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. I'm an idiot. Thank you. (laughs) We are going to make Andrew do another master's thesis on Gilmore Girls. (laughs) Fuck. Well, you know, that's what you get. Mm. So Christina Ricci's... Um, husband Jimmy was the grip in Birdman, the dolly grip in Birdman, and the and I'll tell you, I'll tell you what for Nathan. What is a dolly grip? He's done some dolly gripping in many and other high profile projects. What is a dolly grip? I'm not answering deliberately. Uh, it's well, the guy who grips the dolly. The dolly is the machine that holds the camera, like a large kind of almost like cart sized thing, and that controls the camera. And the guy who controls that machine is the dolly yeah. grip. So in reality, being the dolly grip for Birdman would have been a very difficult, stressful job. That's yeah. true. <laughs> he was really the star of that show. I wonder if it was that gripping that Christina saw. Right, yeah. Exactly. I love that. I love that that it's not like a an obscure high profile actor in in whatever. It's a she married a dolly grip. That rules. Shouts out to all the um all the techies out there in the in the film industry. Yeah, fucking right. You two could get married yeah. one day. You t- <laughs> you two can be a wife guy. <laughs> Reach for the stars. You two can be famous uh, as working behind the scenes on something and being someone's wife. <laughs> The big two. That would be a dream. Oh, man. Deej, play us in for God's sake. (laughs) (laughs) All right, motherfuckers. We're at the top of the skate ramp. Are you guys ready to drop off? I'm so ready. So ready. Yeah. Well, fucking hit that shit right the fuck now. At number 20, it's Body Jar with Not The Same. triumphant return to the Triple J Hottest 100 coming in at number 20 with their signature song, the timeless skateboard classic, Not The Same. Now, we have to throw it, of course, to our resident pro skater, Mr. Nathan Harrison. Kickflip all over this one for us, my friend. Yeah, if you can just imagine me like skating up to you, but it's slower than walking and I'm very scared and looking at the ground and then like... (laughs) 
the, the skateboard just like slows to a stop over a very long time. And then I have to hold on to something to step off the skateboard. Like I put my arms out to try and grab you to steady myself. You being on the skateboard and say, oh, it's a bit high. <laughs> now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure the character of Nathan Harrison was a rollerblader in a previous season at, at one point or another. Exactly. And you'd think that the skills would translate across, but they don't. They just don't. They don't. <laughs> they just don't. They shouldn't call them both skating. I think is what it comes down to because <laughs> it implies that there's a common right something that, and it's just not there. So this was on uh, Tony Hawk Pro Skater 3, uh-huh. which I didn't have, but I had the other one. We've talked before about Body Jar. We talked about the cover that they did. Hazy Shade of Winter by Simon and Garfunkel. And Garfunkel. Yep. And yeah. then we talked about another song of theirs and I can't remember what it was called, but we all remember internally. Fall to the Ground. Fall to the Ground. That was it. Yeah. Um, off a skateboard. That's about me trying to skateboard. <laughs> <laughs> but when we talked about them, I, I've kind of talked about how I never got into Body Jar. They were just a different Australian punk band because they were more serious than Friends of Rome. I just never really gave them a go. Which, listening to this song for the first time in a long time, because sh- I'm sure I heard it at some point, is a huge regret because this song is fucking amazing. Mm. It's so good. Yeah. This yep. is just like oh, 99 percentile grade like skate punk. Totally that. It's just beautiful. It sounds like a Pennywise song, but and I mean that like as a huge compliment. It also sounds heaps like Mill and Colin, who we spoke about a few weeks ago. Definitely. Uh, oh, yeah, for sure. That 90s skate pop infused punk rock. Right. It's in the the roundness of the vocals as well. There's yeah. something about how the singing plays into the energy of the song. That's the same thing. I think nearly everyone that voted for Penguins and Polar Bears voted for this. Yeah. yeah. No doubt. And then obviously a bunch of extra people voted for this because it came ahead in the countdown. The math checks out. But it's just so fun. It's fast. The energy is great. The drumming is like really, really wonderful. And it doesn't just feel like the normal sort of skate punk drumming. And then like you just get those big harmonies and melodies that we've already talked about. Body Jar are really, really good at. That chorus, it just pops. It just feels so good. This is exactly what skate punk is meant to do. It's fucking world dominating, isn't it? Mm. God, it's so good. Yeah. This album, How It Works, and the next one, Plastic Skies, are kind of there flirting with major labels. This was on EMI and Capital. And it's interesting that this happens at the same time as Frenzel Rom Shut Your Mouth with that success story. <laughs> oh, yes. Their beloved album. Yeah, yeah. But it's interesting that like this is a moment in time where bands like this can get a leg up into the the major labels. For better or worse, there's a lot that comes with that. But this is just this is just such a good song. It's so well written. All the different parts are wonderful. It's just so much fun. Really makes me feel like, oh, fuck, I should have done Body Jar and I'm going to do it now. Not right now, but after this. It's just so much fun. Like the fact that like they managed to have such pop hooks Mm. within the songwriting, but retain and like, like you would describe this as ostensibly as a pop punk song, but not in the way that say like Blink-182 or Green Day at their poppiest are pop punk songwriters. This is just like a fun skate punk song, but they are unable to write this without showing off, man, we can write a fucking hook. Man, we know how to structure a chorus and a verse. Like it all just works together so fucking well. When we have talked about pop punk in the past, we've often talked about the ratio being a little bit off. It's either a little bit too punky or it's a little bit too kind of poppy, but it's like there is a perfect harmony going on between those two worlds in this song where it's like the pop doesn't ever obscure the integrity of the punk aspect of it. And yet the punk isn't so strong 
that it doesn't ever take away from the the grand accessibility that is immediately apparent in every hook throughout the whole thing. And there's like hooks everywhere, right? Like the whole thing has this flow and momentum and it just kind of like pushes you along, but it keeps leaving you with these little satisfying moments at the end of melodies or whatever. It's like you're marking the way with the trail of treats the whole time. Mm, totally, <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. you're skating yeah. and it's little like um, things that you have to skate to hit to keep the combo up or whatever. Oh, true, yeah. S-K-A-T-E yeah, yeah, or, the, uh, or the videotapes. Yeah. Or, you know what? Like, I, And honestly, like I'm showing my hand here because I did come to this song knowing it from Tony Hawk 3, but- Unlike other things where I kind of feel a little bit bad that I've got such a strong visual association to something that kind of limits the scope of what I can imaginatively connect to the song, having this connected to Tony Hawk 3 is kind of perfect. Because again, like it's this free flowing, high energy thing. It's just like the idea of playing a video game that is just based entirely around fun and speed and kick flipping and doing mad combos down a hill. That's perfect for the feeling that this song gives you. 100%. I don't know how provable this is, but I read a YouTube comment of somebody saying, fun fact, I talked to Steve Caballero on Instagram a year or two ago. He apparently pushed for this song to make the soundtrack on Tony Hawk 3 because he's a huge Body Jar fan. Yeah, man, that's is, fucking that tight. Is cool. Fucking tight as hell. And like and that's so interesting as well because Steve Caballero, like he, he grew up in America to like – Mexican and Japanese parents, and he's into this Australian punk band, which fucking rules so hard. It, I find it kind of interesting that the song gives the emotional feeling that it does considering what it's about. Like, if you look at the lyrics just on a piece of paper, it's quite sad. It's about being quite significantly let down by someone in your life, right? And you, for, for your own sake, have to kind of cast them off. But they turn that, for instead of being a defeat or something to mourn, into a real freedom, like a real liberating kind of thing. Mm. Saying that you're not the person that I believed in yesterday and I don't need you anyway. You know, like the I don't need you anyway speaks speaks louder, right? Like going like, you know what? No, I, I am reclaiming kind of my own space and my own power in this and kind of going like, forget anyone who's going to hold me back. I'm going to 360 shove it to boneless all over the- <laughs> It's all over the school too. <laughs> Which I know was in. I know that was in Tony Hawk Two. Please don't write in and correct me on the fact that I got the. Sc- I know school's not in THPS Three. I know. God damn it! Christina Ricci is a playable character. Did you know? Unlockable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I have a very specific memory with this song. It is a TV commercial. Uh, it, it's a, it's for some variant of drink. It's Pepsi. Oh, it's Pepsi. They got a Pepsi ad. Yes. Oh, do you remember? No, but I read about it. I was trying to find the ad because I don't remember it. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Now, I am 90% sure that this ad features a young Faustina, a.k.a. Fuzzy Agoli, who would later go on to be the host of video hits and do a bunch of uh, uh, hosting stuff here in Australia. At this time, she's about 16, 17. The video sees her sitting in a car with uh, some dudes, and the dudes are rocking out to Not The Same by Body Jar on the car stereo. After a while, she's just like, well, after a couple of seconds, it's a fucking 30 second ad or whatever the fuck, you know, she's <laughs> just like, yeah, she, she presses skip on the stereo. Oh, true villainy. The song starts again. Thankfully, it was a burnt CD that was just not the same 10 times. You do <laughs> not realize how close you are. Oh, really? She keeps skipping and she's just like, what CD is this? And the guys say, oh, hadn't you heard? 
Pepsi are doing a thing where you can win a CD that's filled with all your favourite songs. And then she turns to them and goes, I thought you put all of your favourite songs on this CD. And then the dudes look at each other and in unison go, we did! And then they keep rocking out to Not the Same by Body Jar. It's just all Not the Same by Body Jar. Hang on, the, the campaign was... Hi, we're Pepsi. We will we'll burn, burn you a CD. CD. We'll burn you a CD. <laughs> just, just, just give us a dollar to reimburse <laughs> from, from my dad's <laughs> office works CD collection. Like it's an official CD, quote unquote. Like you get like the packaging and everything. I wonder if they had a deal with a particular label and you could only pick songs from that label or something. Oh, that'd suck. Yeah. <laughs> I have absolutely no idea. But there's a very strong chance that that was the case. Wow, mm. what a dated prize. If there was an ad now like where it was like one in every ten bottles of soda that you buy gives you the chance for us to burn you a CD, that would rule. It would rule. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Tons of laptops now that even have CD drives. But this song, this song's incredible. It's fucking fantastic, yeah. There's no context in which I can hear this song and I am not throwing around index fingers to the point where I am going to poke someone's eye out. It's just one of those songs. It's just anthemic and it's so well put together and as good as all their other stuff is, nothing comes close to not the same. This is the pinnacle of this band's career. This is one of those songs that, you know, 20 years on, there are so many bands within this genre that just look at that song and just, it's the classic like, Fuck, I wish I wrote that song. Yeah, and this is exactly the vibe I was getting, Nathan, when you were saying, I want to go and like listen to Body Jar again. It's like, I'd be damned if it's all this good, though. Yeah, well, that's true. If someone was like, I think I like skate punk a little, maybe I like it enough for one song. You'd just be like, well, here you go. This is your one. <laughs> well, maybe I'll just listen to the Pepsi album that just has this song on it 10 times. I mean, legit. At number 19, it's the return of the living end. This is Pictures in the Mirror. You know we tried to make you understand. We tried to make you realize. Her fame is down and time is up. But somehow it don't seem enough. Because the world wouldn't listen anymore. Living End coming back into the hottest 100 yet again in a movie surprising absolutely no one. Uh, that is the song Pictures in the Mirror. You can find it on their second studio album entitled Roll On. G'day, boys. G'day, boys. Welcome back. G'day, lads. It has been a hot minute. We are in the midst of the great streak. The Living End are basically the undertaker of the Hottest 100. They will remain in the Hottest 100 for years and years and years to come. And at this point, we are following up on the gargantuan success of their self-titled debut album from 1998. You mean The Wrestler, right? Yes. (laughs) Right. Famously, okay. The Undertaker was undefeated at WrestleMania for 22 consecutive years. Famously, undertaking has been a profession which we always needed. Yes, also <laughs> true. Also very, very true. Let's start to a man who is aesthetically not that dissimilar to that of The Undertaker, Mr. Andrew McDonald. It's a great compliment to hear. 
Yeah, he's a king goth. You're a king goth. Mm, I'll take that. Yes. You know, game recognized game, man. That's what's <laughs> up. Um, yeah, as you said, this was the uh, the first single from Roll On. It came like in 2000, and like obviously the previous time we spoke about Living End, which I think was West End Riot, correct? Yeah. Yeah, last year. Yeah, and and well, that came out as a single in '99, so there was like no more than like a year or so's break between single releases, which isn't that uncommon. But yeah, this um from their their second record, Roll On, as you said, that album, bit less punk, little more polished, little more indebted to '80s Australian pub rock ideas. Yeah, that's that's very true. But obviously, they had a bit of recognition now, so they were able to secure um Nick Launay as the producer. It's- Salone. If you don't know the name, you certainly know the work. We've already mentioned him before. He's produced Mineral Oil, Nick Cave, Silverchair, Yeah, Yeah, Yeah's, Idols, Gang of Four. He's a legend. It's Salone. Yeah. One thing I do love about this particular track are the multiple parts in the song. For the majority of it, it's very straightforward kind of pop punk in the verses and chorus. But with like that, towards the midsection there, there's this kind of lovely instrumental break that kind of recalls 60s like Who and Kinks kind of rockiness kind of thing and there's some softer flourishes that carry that out back into the very end lyrically i think this you're not really coming to punk rock particularly in the 90s 2000s for like seriously wonderful poetic lyrics or anything but i do feel like the lyrics here are a little bit average it seems to be like a song about a girl who's like super into her own image or looks or like fame or something and then it fades i guess but the specificity of the lyrics isn't nearly as important as the fact that the chorus is absolutely structured entirely to be just like screamed along to at a fucking festival, right? Like this is pure sunny afternoon, home-baked, bid-day-out shit where you're going to be screaming pictures in the mirror. It's exactly that kind of stuff. Overall, as a song, I feel like it isn't exactly what I want from The Living End compared to the first record, but like that is with me having like punk rock bias in my veins, and I think compared to like Prisoner Society or West End Riot, it is a little bit of a step down in terms of what I want. But that's just because those songs are so terrific. I still think this song is very fucking good. The band are all great. And this was the last record that the drummer at the time, Deech's name. Travis Dempsey. Yeah, uh, the, this is Travis's last record with the band, which is like, it is what it is. But I think in this song, he in particular is in really fucking good form. All the band members are in great form, even though I do wish that the upright bass was a bit more sounding like upright bass rather than just like sounding like a bass guitar. But again, these are all biases that I bring to it as someone who's more invested in punk rock. I think this is a fucking good song. I just like, to me, it's a sign that the living end were never going to, and it's obviously their prerogative to change their sound and create the music they want to create. But it's a sign to me, like really early on, it was clear that they were never going to make the first album again. As they've gone on, they've become more broad and I still think it's a fucking good song, but like knowing what I know about what the living end sound becomes, it's hard for me to not hear this and be like, ah, there were signs very early on, but I do think this song fucking is good, you know? Yeah, I'm inclined to agree with that. It doesn't really do it for me. That's fair. Yeah, I feel you've talked about the, the changes and whatever. I just feel like it makes the whole damn thing really abrupt and disjointed and it just kind of makes it feel really messy. I'm listening to this song and as if it's always ahead of me. And I've never quite caught up. It's like an animal that I can't quite wrangle. And I think in the end as well, like the hooks when they do arrive musically just aren't as compelling for me. And there isn't the kind of the same emotional pull is maybe the wrong kind of word because I don't get particularly emotional about West End Riot, but there's a passionate kind of response that the, the, the melodies and the hooks just kind of don't really invoke as much in me. So instead I'm kind of left with this really like choppy, bitsy, platter 
of a bunch of stuff that I don't really care for. Yeah, I get you. Yeah. I will, however, say that it, it, I pay the fact that it's more compositionally ambitious. And I think coming off the into a second album, it's it's always worth giving that kind of thing a try. I think just like where it lands for me is, yeah, not what I not what I really want. Okay. Which is fair. I fuck with this more than you do, Adam, but I know entirely from where you're coming. This isn't one that I am consistently coming back to, but it was nice to go back and remember what they tend to do really, really well around this era is get one particular hook in. I think that's true of basically this whole record. There might be other songs better than others, etc., but there's always at least one part in every one of the songs on Roll On where I'll know it specifically from the title because I will hear one specific hook from that part of of the song. You might think, oh, whatever, any band could do that. No, they absolutely can the fuck not. (laughs) I've listened to enough completely forgettable and unmemorable records in my time. Like, I've gone through recent lists of albums that I listened to in full and rated, did a full review of and everything, and I've gone back to those lists and looked through them, and I've seen some of the names on that list and gone, what the fuck is that record? I have absolutely no idea who that is or what that sounds like. Like, at all. Roll On isn't the best living end record, but it does have moments that are very distinctive and very memorable, and they find one way or another to get their hooks in and to just really draw you in. Even if it's just for a moment, they have you. And I think that says a lot about the kind of band that Living End are. I can see that they were still trying to maintain a similar sort of energy to what they were doing on the first record, like obviously channeling it in a different way, but still trying to maintain that similar sense of energy. So yeah, I think there are mer- there's merit to Pictures in the Mirror. It's like I said, not my go-to, but I do pay the fact that it does have a very distinctive and memorable aspect to it, which is more than I can say for fucking a lot of albums I've listened to in the last few years. Fair. Yeah, man. Look, I mean- even even as a detractor, I have to say that if you asked me to sing the chorus, I could. Yeah. Well, that's the thing as well. Like, having seen them live, this is a bombastically joyous moment. Like, I just think that Carl's... I don't, I, again, uh, this is not as good as any of the other Living End songs we've spoken about, but I do think it justifies its position... Well, it, it, it justifies its presence in the countdown. Perhaps not its position, but Australians love Living End. Well, they do. And I think as well, like this coming off the back of the first album, this coming in at number 19 really shows how much the band had kind of solidified their base through live shows in like the year since, which is cool. Like, look, I'm the same. Like, this is not my favorite Living End song. Someone once told me that the the thing with the Living End is that um, after the first album, Chris got really concerned with being taken seriously as a songwriter and not as a guitarist. And the way the songs were written reflected that over time. And I've definitely internalized that as just a true thing that happened. But I think <laughs> that that is a trend. And, and it's a sad trend because, you know, stuff like West End Riot is like not a traditional like songwriter song, but it's an incredibly well-written song. Yep. Yeah. But this is still good. And and like you said, the bands still sound great here. I think the kind of pre-chorus into the into the chorus is amazing. And like you said, Deej, if, if a song can be that good for a bit, that's still a very good song. And also it reached number 18 on the Aria singles charts. Oh boy, we loved them. Yeah, the solidification of 
fan base was not just Triple J oriented. It was Australia wide. That's wild that it it peaked one position above where it got in the hottest 100. Yeah, normally that is sometimes the case. <laughs> yeah, sometimes, sometimes occasionally. But definitely not always. Definitely not always. <laughs> you don't try and set any rules when you're talking about statistics in the hottest 100, okay? We're in the wilderness here. Yeah, very true. It's just very true. <laughs> this is a song. Yeah, yeah, this is a song. There are some numbers around it. It placed. Yep. What more do you want from us? <laughs> <laughs> Deal with it. We're doing our best. We're doing our best, people. At number 18, this is Foo Fighters with Stacked Actors. Coming in at number 18 in the Hottest 100 of the year 2000. That is the song Stacked Actors. It is the opening song from their third studio album, There Is Nothing Left To Lose. Adam. Yo, you're a stacked actor. I know, I was waiting to hear it. (laughs) (laughs) What did you think of the song? (laughs) He bloody got ya. He fucking got me a beauty. I knew this one. It's been around. I've always kind of dug it. I always thought it was pretty sick. That riff comes in and it's just dirty as hell. It's kind of perfect for that kind of like fringe rockier side of Foo Fighters, isn't it? Like it's still a riff that has a hook to it. It's still incredibly accessible. It carries just the right amount of menace that it's not going to really like alienate a bunch of people. Foo Fighters definitely get heavier than this, but I think considering that there is nothing left to lose is really the Foo Fighters hitting their pop stride. I think this is a perfect intro for people who maybe want their Foo Fighters, judging by what has happened historically, with a little bit more of a rock edge. It's a great choice to open the open the album, and it's a fucking amazing riff. So <laughs> we're talking about a Foo Fighters song, right? So of course we have to deal with the fact that there are a bunch of Foo Fighters fans who are crawling out of the woodwork right now and screaming their famous catchphrase, it's about Courtney Love. <laughs> <laughs> Which it's fucking not. No. It's uh, Dave has gone on the record saying that Stacked Actors is a response to living in Hollywood and his disdain and disgust of everything that's plastic and phony about the foundation of that city. A big fat phony! <laughs> Even going so far as to say that it's about people having nothing better to do than trying to be other people. It grossed me out. 
actors just in general make me fucking sick. Whoa. <laughs> Look, I love ragging on actors. I think it's very funny, but it's kind of, I don't know. This is a boring thing. But also another clue that it's not Courtney Love. Courtney Love, one person, actors, plural. It's in the title. Fucking got him. Yeah, come on. <laughs> the math checks out. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like, yeah. I just... The numbers don't lie, baby. I'm just bored of this is the thing. Seemingly every time we come to talk about a Foo Fighters song and I go to look up the meaning, there is some dumb goddamn fan-driven conspiracy theory either of the time or something that's come kind of after where people are just talking about this being either about Kurt or Courtney or something along with that. Like, it's incredibly demeaning towards Dave Grohl to think that he would be so hung up and so limited in his imagination that was the only kind of thing that he could write about. To stir up drama about it is just toxic and crap. Billy Corgan's had the same thing too, hey? Yeah, exactly. Obviously, the death of a close friend and comrade or family or anybody, it always hurts, obviously. But at the, by this point, you'd kind of be beyond the idea of writing petty revenge songs, right? Or just songs that take a, a stab at someone or whatever, right? Like, exactly. You'd think so. It's super not about Courtney. It's about how much he fucking hates the falsehood of LA. You know who else wrote songs about hating the falsehood of LA? Marilyn Courtney Love. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, <Yeah. laughs> like Courtney beat Dave to Celebrity the post. Celebrity skin, baby. hundred percent, right? And yet you still have Taylor Hawkins in an interview with NME in 1999, winking at the interviewer saying like, oh, I reckon there's probably a sentence or two dedicated to Courtney in there. Yeah. Like that's just crap, man. Yeah, like you're down, talking- man. In the same interview, he comes forward later on saying that he never actually met Courtney that much. (laughs) (laughs) He's got no fucking horse in this race, but he just knows that this is- a shit stirrer. Yeah, totally, right? I'd always taken this song as being like a song about the corrupting force of LA. I thought that the way that the kind of sleazy-ass, kind of smoke-filled, almost borderline psychedelic verses kind of came in there, and it was just real- Hey there, Dahl, sit down, have a cigar. You know what I mean? Like, that's the kind of voice that I thought it was having. Which is why, like, I think I never really truly clocked that the chorus lyric is stack dead actors. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> it's a little bit aggressive, Dave. I mean, like, I've, I've got my own kind of problem here in the sense that it's like, I think talking about people who perpetuate that falsehood in, and the idea of Hollywood are very divorced in my mind from what the craft of acting is <laughs> as someone who's like engaged with that in various different ways and whatever. Like I just, to, to lump in all acting and all actors with that kind of scene, maybe it's a different story if you had the lived experience of being in LA, but it just seems a little bit needlessly aggressive. There's a gap the size of the Grand Canyon between the craft of acting and Hollywood. Exactly. But But I kind of resent the fact that in the song, it's labelled as actors mm. and it's acting. Mm. Um, Hollywood doesn't fit. It's too many syllables. Oh, well, okay. That's why I don't write songs. I mean, and it's also not necessarily a new idea. As you said, Marilyn Manson did exactly the same song with The Beautiful People, which we talked about before. Also, I'm thinking of Anima by Tool, which is very much a, a song rallying against the, the falsehood of LA. My, my issue with the lyrics in this song, like I'm fully down with the subject of a vitriolic song being the falsehood of Hollywood. Obviously, I'm into that. But to me, the lyrics, in a way, kind of pairs with the lyrics of Pictures in the Mirror. Of course, he would like, not that Dave Grohl's like a bad person or anything like that, but it's just like the argument of like a rich dude complaining about the falsity of 
female actors relying on their looks as a trope rings a bit fucking tired as shit for me. There were a couple of moments in there where I'm just like, he could equally have made this song about a man, but like whenever he's talking about someone, he's he's always talking about a woman kind of thing, which is a trope that I have heard enough of. Well, yeah, I mean, and this is why like when coming to the song and looking at it now, I have trouble placing the blame on that subject. Yeah. Because, you know, and that's why instead I have a reading of like, yeah, this place is just like a messed up place to be. It's kind of like a corrupting, toxic kind of environment. And that's why you feel, you know, like it's got that sense of intoxication in in the music and whatever. And Mm. it introduces the riff straight away to give you that idea of menace that it then tries to hide only for it to kind of come back. Which is why I think it kind of clashes with what he's trying to do with the chorus where he's placing the blame on those agents themselves. Saying like, no, it's it's the actor's fault. Um, Yeah. that, That kind of doesn't quite work just for me or whatever. But I think like in terms of writing a, a rock song similar to Marilyn Manson's The Beautiful People, you understand why you'd let this be the rallying cry of your fans, right? Yeah. Rock is just rooted in this idea of the average person, the pride in community in that and not grandstanding and, and being grandiose and, and fake and false, but being honest and and just who you are and accepted for that. Which obviously is incredibly ironic at times for that to come from rock, but Yeah, yes. kind of, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I mean, like, it plays that card, though. Yeah. And also, like, having said that, again, I do want to stress that, like, in terms of how this song is structured and the heaviness of the guitars, this fucks. Yeah, this is oh, it's so awesome. good. Yeah, it is awesome. Every second of this song sounds fucking terrific. It's like they sacrificed some of the pop hookiness of choruses of things like Everlong or Generator or whatever, but in doing so made a song that is just fiercer and meaner and, to my ears, better than those more hook-driven Foo Fighters songs, which, again, I still feel are great. Like we've said numerous times, as much as it's easy, fun, and sensible to tease Dave Grohl, um, the string of hits that he released with his fabulous fighters <laughs> in the 90s and 2000s fucking rule. And this is not exactly in that same wheelhouse because it does eschew some of the pop songwriting just for a meaner guitar sound. And like that, that to me fucking rules, man. Like again, because this isn't one of their go-to hits, this is actually released as a commercial single only in Australia. It was released as a radio single elsewhere, but Australia was the only region where it actually got a commercial single CD release, which I guess partly explains its its high positioning in the chart. So yeah, so while it does skip over some of the poppiness, which is why I don't immediately think of it when I think of Foo Fighters songs, the fact that it is so fucking heavy and crunchy and the tone is beef sirloin, it's so thick. Um <laughs> If, look, again, if, if sirloin's not a thick cut of steak, don't fucking yeah, come no at me with this shit. I haven't had meat in like 17 fucking years. I've forgotten. <laughs> Calm down. I think I think it can be. I think it can, I think it can be. On. Maybe. I don't know. It's as thick as a big block of firm tofu, which is mm. thick. <laughs> it's pretty thick. There we go. The, the ones that I buy are thick. I'm looking at some sirloins now and, and they thick and looking like a snack. Good, good. They're looking like a meal. Yeah, I was going to say, you can't just have it for a snack. I guess objectively <laughs> they are looking like meals. <laughs> just have a, a steak as a snack. It's like... As a treat. Check yourself. Like the road less traveled, right? If this was the sound that they pursued, they could have pushed into like getting into some really quite heavy shit going on compared to like, obviously these days they've broadened their sound quite ex- considerably. But like this stuff, man, like... There is something here where I'm just like, this is fucking rock, mate. 
fucking rock. And I think this song becomes more valuable because it is lesser known. Like it kind of has that little nice, not the immediate one you kind of think of. So it becomes a little bit more special to you for that. Definitely the vibe that I've kind of had. And I do like it. I, I think I liked it more before I started to pick apart the crusade that Grohl was trying to wage with it. And the and the ire that he kind of had because I think that that's I think that that's kind of a little bit the way it comes across if you dig too deep into it, which you probably just like shouldn't. Your beef with the song is that I'm picturing you bumping into Dave. Listen here, Dave. I happen to be an actor. Do you know what that feels like to me? <laughs> you want to stack my dead body high? It's not nice. <laughs> it's not this nice. Listen, like, it sounds crap to say, but I do want to kind of come out here and say, like, yeah, but not all actors. (laughs) (laughs) Number 17, this is the Super Jesus with Gravity. Jesus making their return to the Hottest 100, coming in at number 17 with their smash hit Gravity. It comes from their second studio album, Jet Age. We enter a new era of the Super Jesus at this point. Uh, So there'd been some kind of long-standing tension between Sarah McLeod, the band's lead singer, and their original lead guitarist, uh, a guy named Chris Tennant. Uh, who briefly left the band just before Sumo came out in 1997, but ultimately rejoined and played on the record and toured it. But uh, again, those differences kind of came up, and he ended up leaving the band and was replaced by a young man by the name of Tim Henwood. This is his first time in the Hottest 100, but it is definitely not going to be the last, because in a couple of years' time, he will leave the Super Jesus for allegedly greener pastures at the helm of a little band we know and love as the Androids, who for (laughs) one glorious summer back in 2002 had the biggest hit in the country with the song Do It With Madonna. You just said 2002... And I felt a wave of relief that I had two years to not deal with that. It's like, whoa. Oh, but it's just going to loom. No, 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 no. Putting it off. The first ever glow down. <laughs> the glow down, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, not to editorialise when I think about that song a few years in advance, but. <laughs> Mate, it's do it with Madonna. Like, what do you think? Yeah. yeah. Actually, never heard. This is a, this is a first <laughs> for me. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> And it's pretty good. You know what? We could we could actually set ourselves a fucking challenge right here and now. We have two years to come up with a hot take, a convincing hot take as to why I do it with Madonna is a good song. Easy. <laughs> Nathan's already ready. Give me an afternoon, says Nathan. Been waiting his whole life for this. <laughs> yeah. I can finally stop pretending to hate that song. <laughs> Let's focus now on a song that I don't hate. In fact, I cannot even pretend to hate. (laughs) I think that Gravity by the Super Jesus is an absolute masterclass in the hybrid genre of pop rock. I feel like this is a song that has enough drive and enough edge and enough grit to it that it is able to 
still appeal to the alternative radio and pub rock crowd, but it still has that all-encompassing, huge, resonant power when it kicks into that chorus that kind of expanded their whole world. Like, Jet Age made sure that the Super Jesus fucking arrived, and I think the epicenter of that is this single. It has that super distinctive riff that goes through the whole thing, which isn't like a technical masterclass or anything. It's not like super noodly or like Van Halen-esque or anything like that, but it just has that exact right melody that kind of clicks in the back of your head and just locks into place. Sarah has that kind of counter melody going as well. Everything about this song carries you into the next distinctive part. It's like one hook into the next hook into the next hook. And it's just remarkable seeing how it kind of unfurls that way. Like I alluded earlier to the fact that the living end were able to create like memorable moments on each song on their album, you know, and at least have at least one of those things to kind of tide you over through the whole thing. Whereas this song, it's just nothing but memorable moments a couple of years ago i interviewed sarah mcleod and like we talked about some of the key differences so uh between like performing back then and performing now she was telling me back in the day because they come from that very distinct like pub rock background where you just play the song and that's it she feels like at the time they didn't really get to savor the moment of performing these songs And I kind of get that because at the time these songs weren't nearly as distinctive and like as as like revered and and obviously definitely not as nostalgic as they are now. But she talks about how when they're playing these songs, they will kind of loop over particular bits. They'll generally save gravity towards the end and it'll come to the end of the show and they'll like be jamming it out and Sarah will play that chorus just by herself, like, as as the rest of the band is finished up. And she'll just let the crowd carry it. She's just, like, there's such a power to that, knowing that, you know, you created something that is able to do that. It's so impeccably written. If I wrote this fucking song, I would bask in this moment all the time. I would do the fucking 10-minute version of this song. I would totally Green Day that shit. Why the fuck not? This is just just fantastic for me this is this is a big big fucking deal like on on tier with Limp Bizkit this is a big deal people (laughs) well now I like it less (laughs) this fucking rules man like this is the Super Jesus classic song for a reason this just absolutely deserves its spot here every moment of this is awesome yeah it's, it's pretty flawless the thing is that this is an example of an iconic Australian rock song and I can say that and be confident that it is devoid of all the other bullshit that normally comes with that title. <laughs> Honestly, I, I, I can't even move past just that main riff. Like, it is a jacuzzi of a riff. It has this warmth and this textual kind of quality that r- I really feel that you can just kind of sit in and let it kind of bubble around you. It doesn't force your attention. It's not particularly loud. It is the person in the room who speaks and yep, makes everyone yep. else just be quiet simply by the fact that they're speaking. I I had a real revelation about the difference that this rock riff has compared to other riffs of its genre. Even compare it to Stacked Actors by the Foo Fighters. And what your body does when you hear that main riff is it clenches. And somehow Super Jesus have managed to make an iconic rock riff that makes you unclench. It is the exact 
opposite physical reaction and yet it, it, it still is like iconically a rock riff. It's a perfect song. Like I really, I would subtract or add nothing to this song. Totally. With this song, what they set out to do, they just achieved. Let's write a terrific rock song with every, where everything is a hook. And like, yes, let's do that. And then it is. Why don't more bands just do it? Yeah, why don't more bands decide to write really good songs? Well, here's the thing, right? Because I heard an interview that Sarah gave on uh, on radio a little while back where she didn't trust it. She heard mm. the riff and she went, it's too simple. It's too poppy. Simply because it was very different to anything that they did in sumo. So she was constantly trying to mess with it. She feared it was like too light and too sweet. But in the end, they just they just let it be. They were like, well, no, I guess we'll just, there's nothing we, we, we're kind of doing that is making this any better, I will just have to leave it as it is. And what a good problem to have. <laughs> yeah. I guess it's already perfect. Ah, oh, damn. Oh, I guess well. we can knock off early. I guess it's done now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, so is my interpretation of what the song's about right? I read it as as a song where Sarah is the bad guy in the relationship and the other person is leaving. Just like the line hanging on to you, I never thought I'm killing someone. And a bunch of the other lines make me think that that's what the song is saying. Do you get that? I actually haven't paid deep attention to the lyrics, not going to lie. It just, it all works just so well. I just want to enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no. Yeah, I, as I, embarrassing I as it is for me, like, you know, taking down Mr. Grohl uh, line by line last song. Yeah, I don't I don't know, man. Um, it's not about actors, so. Deej? Yeah, I think that's a, a pretty open interpretation. I guess that dynamic is what I get from the lines of the song, which is interesting to me and I think quite rare to have a song where, yeah, that person is the bad guy and they're kind of like, I want to hang on to you and that's killing you. She's the bad guy. She's the bad guy. That No one has Duh. ever written a song about being the bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> And, and now you think of it, it's just like, well, duh, but. <laughs> Bunch of fucking 30 year old dudes saying this shit, man. <laughs> it's fu- fucking humming, Billy Oil. Shut up. It's for everyone. She would bully us, man. Yeah. No, oh, Billy yeah. would think I'm cool. Billy well, would let's think wait till I'm we get cool. to it. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, wait. Someone just forward it. Someone just forward it onto her. Just be like, Billy, please say Adam is cool. He needs this. <laughs> we, we can't still be doing this fucking thing at that point, man. That's going to be embarrassing. Yeah, guess what, fans? We are never talking about Billy Eilish. No, we won't. But it will be hottest hundreds and thousands the next generation. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. It'll be a bunch. Yeah, of- right. Ooh. Patrick Stewart on the pod. <laughs> We'll have like cameo appearances. Oh uh, no, that's gross. No, man, it's actually really cool. Shut up. <laughs> 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 oh, did you see Andrews on this week's episode of Hundo Juniors? Fan <laughs> oh, service. Hundo Juniors? They won't be calling themselves Hundo Juniors. <laughs> no, we're calling them that. We own the rights still. <laughs> oh, oh my God. Hundo babies will make your dreams come true. <laughs> <laughs> we could franchise it. Yeah. yeah, we could have like the um, the Spanish language hottest 100s and thousands. Yeah. And, uh, hottest... El, yeah, go on. yeah, go on. Andrew. No, no, go on. I've, or, I've already shown my ass. I'm not <laughs> quickly googling Spanish. Cinco? You do hundred, I'll do thousands. Cien, yeah, cien and hottest, hottest cien and mil. But hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Like, Does it have more of a Spanish flair to it? Yeah, on, on, a, on a, it's a flamenco guitar. Yeah, nice. 
<laughs> a bit too much of a cliche. Which, you, you li- listeners, you know I know what flamenco guitar sounds like, so I won't even do the sounds because you know that I just know exactly what it sounds like. I don't have uh-huh. to prove myself. Yeah. Christina um, Ricci is actually really good at uh, flamenco guitar. <laughs> <laughs> fuck, fuck. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but, yeah, Gravity is perhaps the Super Jesus' defining song, and if that is the case, what a defining song. This is everything they do done perfectly. This is like if you were to create the Super Jesus in a bubble and hope for the ideal result, it would be this song. It's just everything that you want all the other Super Jesus songs, which we all fucking grooved yeah. on. We all we've, we we haven't had bad words to say about the They're Super Jesus. They're a good Gs. band. They're yeah. a great band. Um, this is the last time they get in. Oh. Ah. Really? Yeah. At, at least they're bowing out like royalty. That's insane yeah. to me that fucking Secret Agent Man doesn't get in. No, right? yeah, no, it's just the five. Uh, we talked about, so Shut My Eyes, Down Again, Saturation, Now and Then, and Gravity. Good to go out on a song about one of the four fundamental forces of the universe, though. So that's good. <laughs> Paul Dempsey wishes he wrote it. Yeah, it's a thumbs up from me. Big time. And me. Ditto. All of Hottest 100 seniors are, uh, are given the yeah. thumbs up. <laughs> yeah. The OG, OG Hundo crew, yeah. Looks like we're not the bad guys. Mm. Hey. Thumbs up from the old timers. At number 16, this is Machine Gun Felicio with Unsent Letter. I try to talk to you. Can't get past the weather The friend I thought I knew Found something somewhere better So I'm hanging on your line Thought we could speak together Don't know what it is with you You seem gone forever I'm spending all my time Driving around freaking clever MGF, Machine Gun Felicio, making their return to the Hottest 100, coming in at number 16 with the song Unsent Letter from the album Paging Mr. Strike. Andrew. David, this is from Bring It On, my friend. The movie? Is this soundtrack hours? No, I fucking wish. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. It would very much suit the horny Kristen Dunst cheerleading movie. Yeah. But yeah, this closes Bring It On, which I'll get to because I think that's very important for that record. If you hadn't heard this song before, I believe you'd be quite surprised that it is Machine Gun Fellatio, right? Considering Motherfucker on a Motorcycle and the other tracks we've spoken about with MGF. Uh, Both of them, and they were both Motherfucker on a Motorcycle. (laughs) (laughs) Right, look, well, yeah. But Doctor, I am the Motherfucker (laughs) on a Motorcycle. (laughs) It's... Look, it's a refreshing change of pace from the band to not have that song in their countdown again. That said, a guy who once wrote about uh, nappy-clad brutal beatings uh, is involved with this track. Exactly. One of the writers of uh, No Aphrodisiac. Yes, indeed. The silly bits of that song. <laughs> Specifically the silly bits. Just, just, just the silliness. None of the, none of the, nice, the nice bits. Kind of, <laughs> kind of stuff your mum's like, why'd you have to put that in there? Yeah. <laughs> I seriously came to this being like, there are zero lyrics about nuns spanking truck drivers and I'm confused. <laughs> if you've heard Machine Gun Fellatio, even like if it's just been Motherfucker on a Motorcycle, like you know that they trade in that 
delicate art that we call silliness. And here, they are not really being silly. This is a surprisingly sincere love song taking the form of a letter to a former or potential partner that you do not intend to send. Much like the drones, why write a letter you never send? Damn, I was just about to say, but why would you write a letter you'd never send? (laughs) You'd never send. (laughs) Which we won't get to talk about. Actually, inevitably, it'll be someone's fucking postal vote. If we were still doing the podcast in that year, which we won't be. Just got to hope the kids are into it. (laughs) All those Spanish guys, you know? Yeah, (laughs) Spanish kids. Why write a letter you're never (laughs) sending? Oh, boy. As a song, this is just like a very sweet and sincere piece of like, I guess, golden age of pop influenced 60s warm kind of love song, right? I really love the way that the uh, the various keyboard melodies that are in this song build to kind of, in their own way, a kind of crescendo. It's a soft crescendo, but it still does reach a point. And I think that's very beautiful. The background, like the constant, like the chicka chicka wah guitar that kind of drives it, kind of gives it an element of Prince's softer songs there's a bit of that there but again i what i want to say is this closes the debut record and to me i think that's very good because they spend the rest of the record doing what they do for their stock and trade it's silly it's over the top it matches what their live performances were like which is have like the nudity and the silliness and the costumes but having this at the end of the record it's almost like a kind of thing of them showing you like hey by the way we're actual songwriters as well this is this little parting gift to show you that we actually know what the fuck we're doing. And here's the example. And also uh, on the Bring It On record, the first track is this really, it's quite a short number. And then the second track is called Not Afraid of Romance. Um, and I think with that track, there's a promise. And with this track, Pinky delivers on that promise. He's not afraid of romance. This is a piece of sincerity for you to enjoy after having a laugh. And I think it's a very lovely, beautiful piece of music. I agree. I don't trust it. <laughs> you don't like seeing the clown crying No I feel like this is the kind of band That would write a song And you think it's just a nice little song And then you go on Urban Dictionary And you look up what an unsent letter is Woo! I've missed things in the past And if there's maybe one or several entendres In this song That I'm not getting <laughs> So I don't trust it I don't trust, I don't trust it MGF's biggest influence is a uh, little known Melbourne band called Tism. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, not sure if you've heard God of God damn it. Tism do similar things. There's a there's a handful of Tism tracks that are just openly sincere. That's the thing, right? Did you put it perfectly, right? You don't trust the clown crying. And it's fair to not do that because they've done everything to make you not trust them. But these moments where like the jokesters get to be sincere, are often insanely beautiful. And not that this is like a perfect song ever written or anything like that, but it is lovely. But it's similar to like when fucking um, Tripod and Eddie Perfect did the acapella cover of Meet Me in the Middle of the Air, originally by Paul Kelly. Yeah. And those four guys... They're a bunch of clowns. They trade stocks on the silliness market. They will blow a raspberry or two. You, you, you can take their wife, for example, please. <laughs> Trying to think of other things. They don't get no respect. <laughs> Thinking of incredibly outdated joke references. But like when they did do that one sincere thing, it's even all the more beautiful. Doug Anthony All-Stars did it as well. Yeah, we, well, we already talked about uh, Paul McDermott covering Throw Your Arms Around Me. Beautiful, yeah. And I, and I love that cover, and I still do. And I think this is in that same kind of wheelhouse of the silly band doing something sincere, and you're like, "Holy fuck, you're actually a songwriter! I thought you were just a, uh, I thought you were just a weird owl." Yeah, Andrew, I just can't imagine any content 
or any kind of brand that tries to be silly oh, at one moment and then tries to be deeply sincere the next. Yeah. I just can't. Why, why would you? Why would you ever subscribe to them? Why would you give them a five star? <laughs> I was very unsure about this at the start. And then like 10 minutes later, I was humming the chorus. It's a great chorus. And I went back to it and I was like, mm, it's pretty good. And then I watched a live version of it. And I was like, oh, it's really good. So it won me over, I guess. I saw Pinky's band. I think it was the White Russians opening for the Bedroom Philosopher in Wollongong about a decade ago. About halfway through the set, they played Unsent Letter. And then the second that started... Like a bunch of ears pricked up and everyone's just like, oh, fuck, it's that song. Oh, wait, fuck, it's that guy. <laughs> What's he doing in Wollongong? <laughs> That's the kind of like familiarity that this song has and that kind of resonance. I like that they were able to create such a departure from their previous sound. You know, at the at the end of the day, Pinky Beecroft is a human being and, you know, like... Deserves to be treated as such. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> he's not an animal, he's a human being. Um... You know, it's 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 the same as fucking Jim Carrey doing Eternal Sunshine or fucking Adam Sandler doing Punch Drunk Love or something like that. These may be like goofballs very distinctly associated with one thing, but it's like you give them a chance to create something real and emotional and dramatic and, you know, they're going to take that chance and they might actually succeed. It might be a good podcast. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Just Maybe. <laughs> That brings us to the end of another episode of Hottest 100s and Thousands. Thank you very much for listening. We love you. We appreciate you. We promise that you'll love this podcast for generations to come. Quite literally generations to come. Before we get out of here, we are going to pick our favourites, our least favourites, and continue that ever-continuing story of carry over champ and carry over chump. Andrew, you've been a good guy at sports today. Why don't you go first? You have apologised. You have made amends, so... Ah, no major stinker in this one. Uh, I'm going to give my favourite to Foo Fighters stacked actors. It just ebbs out gravity for me. Um, I just think it, the, the heaviness fucking clicks with me in a way that's very good. And fifth favourite is I'm going to give it to Pictures in the Mirror. I don't think it's a bad song. It's just not as good as the other four we spoke about. It's in an unlucky bracket, living end. You're still good guys in my eyes. But my champ of everything that's right place and my chump of Black Jesus do not remain changed by a wide margin. Uh, my favorite is going to be Gravity, just ahead of Body Jar, I think. My least favorite, mm, I think I'll give it to Machine Gun Fellatio. But like you said, there's no real bad songs this week. So that's nice. I don't want to give any of these my least favorite because like, I genuinely love all of these songs to one extent or another i guess my least favorite maybe pictures in the mirror but even then like i I still think there's a lot of merit to that song my favorite this week though is absolutely gravity and uh, that's going to be my new champ as well you that's tempting my favorite is definitely gravity i think gravity is champ worthy uh, look, my least favorite this episode is um, Pictures in the Mirror by The Living Ant um, as well. But you know what? No, I, I won't. But th- let it be said that the consideration was there for, for gravity. I think it's that good. Hell yeah. Folks, we are edging ever closer towards the top of the hottest 100 of the year 2000. We will be back once again very, very soon 
with another batch of shit hot rock and roll from the year 2000. But until then, on behalf of Mr. Nathan Harrison. Adios. Mr. Andrew McDonald. And Mr. Adam Buncher. Christina Ricci, give us a five star. (laughs) My name is Sir Patrick Stewart, and everything is good for you. Oh, Adam, I wanted to say that was a bit of a reachy. Uh, Uh. Ah.